Hey, welcome to Acquisitions Anonymous. Uh, we have a cool deal for you today. Uh, it is what is called an exhibit house. And exhibit houses are some interesting businesses uh, that work in the convention and meeting space. And we'll talk a bit about the deal that we found. It is super cheap. They are selling for about 1.4 times the owner's earnings. Uh, and we think it's in Houston. So very interesting, very interesting one. Uh, we'll get right into the episode. Uh, before we do, also a big thank out to big thanks out to morenow.co. Uh, More and Greg and his team are our sponsor for today. So uh, with no further ado, here is uh, the exhibit house. And I think you'll like it as much as I did. Hey, today's sponsor is More Now, and you can find them at morenow.co. And they are friends of the podcast, Greg and his partners uh, there. Uh, they specialize in helping businesses of all size uh, build overseas teams made of folks that aren't just your standard VAs, uh, but are above and beyond in terms of experience, seniority, and all that kind of stuff. So um, looking at my notes here, they do all kinds of stuff, uh, accountants, supply chain managers, operations. So everything from specialized individual contributors up to directors and above, um, all located offshore uh, and really a good resource for small businesses and businesses of all size uh, trying to build out their teams, especially in today's super tight uh, labor market. Um, they'll go and, and help you find talent across the across the globe. Uh, definitely encourage you to check out morenow.co. Uh, Greg and his friends have been great partners to the podcast uh, and are really part of helping us grow this. So go check them out, morenow.co. Uh, tell them that Acquisitions Anonymous sent you. Thanks. All right. So guys, I have something to tell you. I'm going to do really well this episode because I just ate a tuna fish sandwich. And I will also tell you, I, I really like tuna fish. I smell it from here. <laughs> I really like tuna fish. Dude, I do not know why. Like, I like tuna fish sandwiches like kids like macaroni and cheese. Like, I do not know why. Like, I go into a gas station, even if I'm not hungry, I'm like, ah, tuna fish sandwich. Like, I like them that a much. gas station tuna fish sandwich? What oh, is yeah. wrong with you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's delicious. You guys don't I mean, even I, I, I like tuna fish sandwich, but a gas station tuna fish sandwich? I that almost bought. So I was in Mexico City last weekend taking my son there, and we had a great time. I went into a Seven Eleven, which, by the way, they call Seven Eleven. It's not called Siete or <laughs> Siete Once or whatever. Uh, and they had a very good looking tuna fish sandwich, and I almost bought it. Mexican so. <laughs> gas station tuna fish sandwich. Almost bought it. Almost bought it. It was delicious. Michael, looking. do you also like artisanal, like boutique? You know, real bougie tuna fish sandwiches or you only like the bottom of the barrel stuff look mills i understand what you're saying here but i'm a man of the people and i like the good stuff and i like the gas station stuff that is that's part right. of my appeal good. my friend on that note we have a deal <laughs> the tuna fish sandwich business <laughs> we have a deal we have a deal that is good as good as a gas station tuna fish sandwich so, and Mills is going to read us today. I got it pulled up on the screen. Let's go. It's listed as a hot listing on BizQuest and their seller financing. So it is flying off the shelves. This is a profitable exhibit house with recurring revenue. Asking price, $1,463,000. Gross revenues, $3.5 million. Um, cash flow of $1.1 million. And they say the EBITDA is uh, $100,000 less than that. Not totally sure why. 
Business description is well-established, profitable exhibit house is available for sale due to the owner's planned retirement. This exhibit house is known for its quality of workmanship and excellent reputation. They provide design, fabrication, shipping, installation, rental, and storage of trade show exhibits to the end user and provide all related trade show graphics, logistics, and services. The employees are well-trained and have excellent relationships with their clients, which span a variety of industries. The business survived the temporary shutdown of the trade show industry from the COVID-19 pandemic, a testament to the strength of the business and is now thriving and more profitable. The company's facility occupies approximately 50,000 square feet and they have space to expand the business. The facility can be purchased, leased, or relocated, providing a lot of flexibility to the new owner. We did see this listing a little while back um, when we were looking at another deal and the purchase price, I want to say is maybe $6 million more or $7 million more if you want the real estate. But if you poke around on BizQuest, you could find it. Um, it's an excellent opportunity for an existing exhibit house to expand a company in the advertising, marketing, or sign equipment industry to enter a complementary line of business or for an individual to operate and grow the business. The se seller financing is available on a case-by-case -case basis. They want uh, a, a higher purchase price, $1.6 So let's see, $200,000 more. Um, and you can put 50% down and the seller will carry the other 50%. Contact us now, um, Jason at TrueViewBusiness.com. Uh, it's based in Texas. It's been around since 1990. They have eight employees, um, and the rent is $32,000 a month. That seems really high. I need to do that math, but that seems very, very high for 50,000 square feet of industrial space. Um, there are competitors, and once you receive the SIM, um, it discusses competition and the highlights. It highlights the strengths and weaknesses of this business. Um, they're going to train and, and support you during the transition period. Yep. And I, I was going to add, I, in, in preparation for this, I went and Googled what an exhibit house is. And it turns out that is a name for a very specific type of business in this um, exhibition space. And basically what they do is they specialize solely in booths, sale, design, sale, and rental. So sometimes they'll have booths and they rent them and they customize them and all that kind of stuff. So they do bespoke booths for people like who want to exhibit at a show and they, they go about it that way. Yep. So yeah, we, we're a customer. We have bought several of these for our business when we go to trade shows. So this is anything from like a, like the base unit at a trade show is a 10 by 10, 10 feet by 10 feet. Then you can go in basically 10 by 10 blocks. So like 20 by 10, 30 by 10, but you can go all the way up. Some of these businesses have booths that are like, you know, 80 mm -hmm. by 80 and you can walk in and it's like almost like a little store. Um, and they've got 20 people working it and those things can run. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, you're talking like many cities. I have seen ones that have two stories, like that they, they get trucked in and they get built for a week on the trade show floor. And then they get totally disassembled and either trucked to the next trade show or back into storage until the next year. I mean, just the expense to like erect these mini cities in conference halls and then unerect them and put them away is mind boggling. I remember looking at one of these so years ago this, that was doing about $4 million in EBITDA. And if I remember right, and I'm wondering, Bill, what do you think, how do you think a business like this differentiates itself and kind of is able to extract value when they're larger and much larger players? They only have eight employees. So I'm just thinking they'd have to really niche in some way. This is a relationship business, period. 
like we found our guys because a friend of mine used them, you know, and, and they're all, I mean, I think you might say, oh, some of them are more, more creative or like can do, but like ultimately this is a job shop. Like it's like fiberglass and printed and metal. Like it's, you know, you're, you're building trade shop booths. So the, there's really hard to differentiate on capability unless you're just like genius level designer. But a lot of times people don't really need that. You know, there's only so many configurations you can have of a trade show booth so that you probably have like five to 10 base designs, which are adaptable, you know, like the 20 by 10 booth in that different than the 30 by 10 booth, you know, you stretch it out a little bit. Um, so once you're kind of there, it's really hard to differentiate on like, I will design you the sickest booth you've ever seen. And it's more about, you know, customer service, you know, uh, one thing that is nice is they will store it for you. So some, I sounds like this place does storage. So you don't have to ship it back to your warehouse. You ship it back to their warehouse. Cause a lot of these things are only in use hmm. a couple of weeks a year. And then they just got to sit. So if your company and they're big off it, like usually they fit in like a crate. Have you ever seen one of those? Like practically like yep. put an elephant in it, you know, yep. um, like it's like a pallet size or it's like three pallets or four pallet size. And it goes up like 10 feet. And so they're all designed to kind of compress origami style and fit in a crate. Um, and they, so you get shipped to the trade show, the convention center, unpack and then put back in the crate. It's got to go somewhere. Um, so I think it's, I mean, it's, this is one of those businesses that I think it's tough to get really, really big, um, because the industry is really fragmented. I'd be willing to bet there are a handful of companies and they may be part of some of the kind of event production. There's like these event production companies that kind of tailored themselves to the global 2000 and then to the soup to nuts. So I bet, th I bet those big ones end up getting tied into the, into that. I bet you're in more red ocean with a guy like this that appears to be going after mostly small, you know, stuff like not, not the big, not the big global 2000 type situation. Yeah. They, I mean, also like if you will just plug trade show booths into Google, mm -hmm. you're also going to find a ton of guys that it's kind of like semi-custom, mm -hmm. like you upload your artwork essentially, and they're yeah. going to send you the desk, you know, the backdrop and the flooring, right? And the only thing different is what's printed on the backdrop. So there's a ton of these kind of like low end for, and that can be, you know, a thousand bucks for a 10 by 10. So these guys are kind of one step above that. I, I would expect they don't do many 10 by 10s. I would think the smallest they would do is like a 10 by 20 or 10 by 30. Um, and it's going to be, I mean, we've spent 20 or $30,000 uh, you know, on ours to, you know, nice custom made stuff. Um, and it's, it's an investment. Seems like a lot uh, of, but work. you're spending 10 grand, a, a, you spend 10 grand a week at, or more 20, 30 grand a week, just for the space that you're the postage stamp that you're going to put it on at the convention hall. It seems like a lot of work for eight people. Yeah. They might not be doing that many. Maybe. May I mean, if they're, yeah, cause I mean, they have 62,000 62, square feet of warehouse. That is big. Yeah. That's like a that's like a grocery store, like size of of building, and they're paying thirty two thousand a month in rental, which I think you know that's about whatever a half fifty cents per square foot. Yeah, it's per like month. seven, a little that's over pretty, seven dollars. Pretty good per square foot annually. Yeah, so pretty consistent with with stuff. And I think this is in Houston. The at least the the easiest way to tell is the seven one three area code from the business broker. That's one of the Houston area codes. So it looks like it's somewhere in Houston. Um, most likely close to the convention center or somewhere down that way. I'd be willing to bet they have a lot of oil and gas customers as well. That'd be something I'd be really interested in being in Houston. Um, though the Houston you know, economy is, you know, it diversifying could be that more with only eight days. employees. Maybe they're not doing as much custom stuff. Maybe it's more high volume, 10 by 10, send us your artwork. You know, we print it and, and create it and send it to you. 
What do you guys think about a business like this that their revenue probably, it maybe didn't go to zero if they're storing these things, but I mean, it conceivably went down 75% or something like that during, during, you know, a two year period or an 18 month period. And seems like that's pretty far in the rearview mirror. We've looked at some businesses where we say, Hey, look, you know, we don't like it because all that future demand got pulled into the present, you know, during COVID and now the COVID bump is done or they make the case that they have, you know, sustainably higher margins when we don't think they do. In this case, I think, you know, business travel is kind of back and conferences are going to happen. Do you think that you can bank on that in this case? And do you think that you can uh, navigate a little bit of a discount for the fact that in the rearview mirror, there's some really rocky, turbulent times? I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's still pretty recent since all the COVID stuff. I'd be more worried about kind of the long-term trend here. Um, cause there is, I mean, we go to a lot of trade shows and I will tell you they're not as busy as they used to be. Um, they're just not. And it's because all of the, and COVID kind of accelerated this kind of move to more online platforms, um, where people you're kind of connecting with buy and it's not great yet. Um, but it's getting there. Like the world wants to go there, right? You just think of the insane expense to bring an entire industry to Las Vegas for a week, plus all the booths, plus all the hotel, like there's just a ton of value here if you could somehow make this happen a little bit virtually. So I'm not saying conferences and trade shows are going away, but I don't know where the bottom yeah. is, right? And I think we are still on the way to the bottom. The bottom is above zero, but I don't know where it is. So I think you're kind of fighting a little bit of a shrinking industry plus a red ocean here. That's that's recipe for some bloody knuckles. But it's so cheap. It's so cheap. I mean, these guys are selling for like 1.3 times earnings. So you potentially get all your money back in a year. I mean, and, and do we understand how much of this is, uh, is potentially recurring revenue? And we think the recurring revenue is the storage. That's basically what it's got to be. So. Yeah, that's probably what it is. But I mean, some, some companies will need a new booth every couple of years because they kind of get ruined. You know, yeah. with all this pack on pack travel across the country, but I wouldn't call that recurring revenue. I would be super interested to look at their PL and I bet you the design fab shipping and installation and business, I bet I bet that is all just like customer acquisition costs for a very profitable rental and storage business. I bet this is I bet this is actually a storage business and your lead funnel is just all that other crap that you have to do. That would be a better business, actually. Right? But then, yeah, let's... Okay, I got my <laughs> checkbook. Let's go. Who's ready to go to Houston? Which airport are we flying to? I mean, if, if that's what it is, right? Because, I mean, think about the sunk cost in these things. I got $20,000 or more. I got $50,000 that I paid to make this trade show booth, Yeah. right? And I'm paying, well, what? Another $3,000 a year or what? I throw it away? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay that $3,000 a year for 10 years. Or more. Yeah. It's just like a storage arbitrage play. I, I I mean, I think the value of this deal, right, where you're looking at it at, at this kind of EBITDA level, which it's I like that it's in that no man's land, right? There's a lot of buyers kind of want to be in that that like four hundred to five hundred thousand EBITDA area, and there's buyers that want to be two million plus. And this is kind of in that no man's land where you're like, hmm, like 
there's potentially fewer buyers here willing to come up with the type of capital to do an SBA loan for this thing. And you can also SBA it, which is another thing that plus the seller financing, maybe you don't even have to put any money down at all. I think you would have to put you would have Guys, to put yeah, you would, have, you would have to put something down uh, to put a finer point on <laughs> on on your comment, Michael. Um, there's people who look for four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar EBITDA deals, and then there's uh, people who have learned not to look at four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar EBITDA deals. That, those are the two categories. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what do you call the person who only wants to look at five million EBITDA deals Pri- and bigger? Private what do you call those guys? <laughs> Other people's yeah. money. That's what you call them. Other people's money. OPM. For for those of you listening at home, there is an inverse relationship between the size of the deal and how much of a pain in the ass it is to make the deal happen. The bigger the deal gets, typically the easier it is to make it happen. You get better lawyers, you get better CPAs, you get better service providers, the bookkeeping on the on the seller side is better. All of that is is great. Whereas if you go look at some deal with like a hundred K to five hundred K in EBITDA, you're gonna have to go pay somebody to go through their books and you're going to be trying to put it together for them to truly understand how much cash they've been making by looking at their bank statements. So that is the rationale for you want to go bigger because uh, bigger is actually easier than smaller. It is different than almost everything else in terms of real estate, all that kind of stuff. The, the, your order of difficulty gets harder the smaller the business gets. And that is my soapbox for that. <laughs> for that it's much more idiosyncratic. You know, the seller's brother-in-law is the CPA and the attorney, you know, like it's just a mess. Well, here, here, look at this example. So we have Jason, who is the business broker. And for those of you on YouTube, you can see that with True True View Business Advisors. And guess what he is? He's a CPA. (laughs) He's some accountant that is also brokering his clients' deals. And if you want to deal with uh, brokers that are, there's kind of the two parts, right? You have the brokers that are the... Our but like our buddy Clint Flore, who Fiore, who's a business broker, and he is, I would say, and I love him for it. He is a very typical business broker. Like if you talk to him, like that's if, if I look up business broker in a dictionary, you get that. Or the other personality is you get the CPA turned business broker, and it looks like this guy, Jason, and like he is. You're gonna get what you're gonna get. <laughs> very different, very different than somebody like a Clint who's making deals happen. Well, so. You know, that being said, though, sometimes there's value in that, right? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes, like if you have like a really professional intermediary, like an invest, like take the other end of the spectrum, an investment bank, they're going to price that thing to perfection. They are going to run, they're going to pro forma everything. They're going to run a really competitive process, right? But sometimes with a less sophisticated broker, you might actually be able to find some alpha there, right? It, you might figure out that it's worth more than they realize it's worth, or it hasn't been as widely shopped. So I I don't necessarily know that you're going to have way more brand dam- brain damage, but yeah, maybe there's. Alcohol. I agree with you, Bill, and I th- we might have talked about this on that episode you and I did about broker quality when we looked at that interesting. I can't even remember what it was. It was like a flow control business or something like that from those guys in Charlotte. But I I think everybody is everybody believes that thesis or or they they latch onto that thesis at some point. And then they go and they do the legwork and they get the brain damage and they're like, it's not worth it. You know, I, yes, I can maintain relationships with, a th- you know, literally a thousand to two thousand small time brokers and I'm never going to get the whale. You know, the, the biggest listing of that broker's life that is actually at $3 million in EBITDA, like it's just never going to work because that guy's so out of his coverage 
that he can't actually guide the seller and the seller tells him how the whole thing's going to go. It's just, I, I've, I've been down that path and I spent a lot of time down that path and it just never actually panned out. It just, it's so hard to get a deal done that way. Uh, so, uh, I would like to go on the record to say, I like this. Deal. Yeah. If for the right person, which that's our most, that's our most critical feedback. Sorry to interrupt you, Michael, that we get on a consistent basis from listeners is let me know when you like a deal and I'll listen to that episode. <laughs> this is one that, yeah. Uh, I, okay. Okay. I don't, if, if there's a scale of like zero to tuna fish sandwich, this is like maybe like a seven out of 10, right? And a 10 would be a tuna fish sandwich from a gas station in Mexico. Okay. You guys are good with that. That's where I think this deal lands for me. And it, look, I think we realized, you know, Googling a little bit, the way deals in this space, you know, companies in this space work is you have an owner in there that's making sure the clients are very happy. Uh, you'd have to be the right hands-on person to go do this business. And if you want to be that person and you want to live in Houston and you want to spend a lot of time near the convention center there, this is a great way to make a million dollars a year. Uh, so there's a lot of ifs there. First of all, I know where the convention center is in Houston. It's not as great as it sounds. Uh, and it's Houston. So yeah, that's also not as great as it sounds as well. But like, this is pretty darn good. And like, you get all your money back in a year. You know, you could, you could go in and do this deal. The guy turns it over to you and you make five or 600 grand in the first year. That sounds pretty good to me. What, what am I missing? P price determines so many things. You know, if they were asking three times EBITDA for this, we would, we would hate it. But there's a reason. Yeah. I, 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 Girdley, I think you should get, I think you should get the sim and we'll do a follow up. There's a reason why the price is so low. <laughs> there always is. The deal never looks better than the first time you look at it. All right. I'll get the symbols. I mean, I agree. I like it at face value sure. right now, but there's going to be a reason when we get into there. And I bet you it has something to do with, you know, maybe not customer concentration, but like they only service the oil and gas industry in Houston. And if that yeah. one conference decides to like go virtual, you know, like for two out of their your, four annual meetings test. or something, then I don't know, whatever. I'm just speculating. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, the funny thing is it's not like you're going to be getting Exxon or, you know, any of the big names as your clients in this deal. You're going to be getting Joe's wildcatting services. Yes, all and oil field services. Yeah. Thing who, who have a bad habit of going out of business all the time. Like, if, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like get, there's some sites where you can go and pay to get the bankruptcy listings for your state. Have you guys ever no. done this? It's really fascinating. Okay. So, so you get the bank listings for your state and they correlate obviously with how the economy is doing. So invariably the economy has been booming for the past few years and I would get all the Texas listings and they would all be in Harris County, which is the Houston County. And guess where like 90% of the bankruptcies were during the last couple of years of boom oil companies in Houston. Like it was just a normal course of business. They were like either making 50 million a year or losing 20. Like those are the, those are the two options. There's no middle, there's no middle yep, ground. Yep. Of course. Boom and bust baby. Totally. All right. Well, this is a cool one. So this one's on BizQuest. Uh, I'll make some time to get the SIM. It's an exhibit house for sale. What, what else do we think? Any, any other insights here, Bill, you, you got your checkbook. I, I think this is a case for get the book. Because if this turns out to be an awesome storage arbitrage business, right? And Jason Ward, CPA, did not present it that way. You know, you might have found a gem. Um, yeah. So I don't. I don't think this is a case for spending a lot of time on it. 
But sometimes if you think there could be a jam, just get the book. It's not that hard to sign an NDA. Yeah. The other part of it is, as Mill said, like this potentially could be a value trap, right? Like, like the value trap people get into is because something's cheap. You think it's therefore like a good opportunity and cheap is not necessarily correlated with good opportunities. Sometimes you pay up for quality and this may be just a total. Let's look at it. Which, okay. We'll look at it. All right. Anything, anything more today? Otherwise we can wrap this one up and we will uh, catch everybody next week.